You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Today, the Bible reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You may be seated. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Uh, Ushers, you can take the morning's offering, and um, if you're visiting with us, you know, don't feel obligated to give. I, I say this every Sunday, but I I know what it was like when I visited churches and the plate came by and I just felt awkward. Um, but if you could let us know how you, felt, how you found out about Meadowbrook, that would be great. You can do that by just taking one of the cards in the back of the seat in front of you and fill that out on the way out. You can just drop that off in, one of the, in the wooden box by the door and that would be most excellent. Well, this has been an interesting week. <clears throat> so, uh, what was it? Sometime late last week, I uh, just got so annoyed with uh, issues I was having with my keyboard on my MacBook, because I belong to the the Apple cult. I own all things Apple. Um, Some of you are like, yes. Others of you are like, ooh. Um, But I had to take it to Fort Collins to get get looked at. And I I thought that I would have, like they would just fix it in a day, and I, and I brought my bike with me, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll ride my bicycle, a new bike that I've got, and I'll, I'll ride that, and it'll be great, and I'll be in Fort Collins, there'll be no wind, and I'll, when I'm done, I'll pick up my laptop, and boom. Well, uh, as soon as I went there, they looked at it, they're like, yeah, you're probably not going to have this for 14 days. I'm like, uh, that's a problem, because like everything, that's like my library, that's every, everything is on my laptop. I, but, so I've been trying this week to figure out how to write a sermon on an iPad, and um, <clears throat> I put everything in the cloud, so trying to figure out how to get my stuff from the cloud, and anyway, it's been interesting. So that was Monday, and then uh, Jonathan uh, called me and said, hey, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to come by and pick up one of the rapid tests. We have uh, like 10 rapid test COVID test kits or whatever. And uh, so he, there's two tests in those. So he took one box home with him. He took one, and I think it was uh, positive, and he took another one, it was negative. And 
wanted to take a third one, and so he took the third one that was positive, and I'm like, dude, you have COVID. Uh, and then he was confirmed when he lost his taste, uh, sense of taste. So Jonathan, the, the, one, the only one on the staff that had not yet had COVID, has joined the I Had COVID Club um, uh, amongst the staff. So, so he's recovering. And then, uh, and then the other thing is, that, so uh, one of the other guys who leads periodically when, when Jonathan doesn't have anybody else to lead, he's sick. And then Stephanie wasn't feeling well at the beginning of the week and still a little bit under the weather, and she wasn't sure how that was all going to... I got a call from Jonathan yesterday that she might not be able to make it. And uh, I thought, huh. Then I, went on, then I went on YouTube and looked for sermon jams, and like, what can we... Because you don't want me to lead in music. Like, that's just... That won't go well. Um, and, then, and then it just dawned on me, you know, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit this week. And I've been thinking about Acts, the, uh, the book of Acts and the first century church, and God just, just convicted me, just reminded me, you know, I don't need your cleverness, I don't need your MacBook, I don't need, I don't need uh, talent, I don't need any of that, I choose to use it, and, um, but I don't need it. And then I, and I just thought, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, then I ask that you would heal Stephanie, make her feel better, but if she's not leading, then, then we'll just do whatever you want us to do. And I just was reminded of that this week. We don't gather here on Sunday because this is the mission God has called us to. We gather here to encourage one another. We gather to, you know, part of that includes singing songs to one another. That's the purpose of singing, to remind ourselves of the promises of God, but the power that God has given us through his spirit is, is for the mission that he's called us to out, outside of these walls. And, and so, anyway, so I just wanted to share that with you. I just thought, well, ironically, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit and everything crashed, people's health issues, <laughs> my laptop. Um, but God knew, knew what he was doing. I want to uh, share a quote with you. And if you got the e-letter, you'll be familiar with this quote. If you didn't get the e-letter, you should sign up for it. Uh, I send out a letter each, each week through, via email. But it's from Francis Chan, and he said this. If I were Satan, and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened, and I would argue that it is a, pro, a, a prolific disease in the body of Christ, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in the church. We understand something very important is missing. The feeling is so strong that some have turned away from the church and God's word completely. I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation, and the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. So I've been preaching the sermon series we started this Advent sermon series. Most of you, you know, are familiar with that. Some of you, you know, maybe new and you're not familiar with the sermon series. But I just thought, man, for Advent to just reflect on the generosity of God. I said at the very beginning of the sermon series that I believe that God's generosity is one of his characteristics, one of his attributes, alongside of his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice, and all those other things. Uh, and that he doesn't need to improve upon his generosity. So in the first, you know, in the first sermon, I talked about, uh, you know, that God, you know, it's the title of the series is God Gives, that God in his generosity gave himself. I said that God is not the center, or no, that, that we are not the center of God's universe. God is the center of God's universe. And the most loving thing that he could do is invite us to be a part of that, to participate in that, to enjoy that, namely to, to know him and to enjoy him. And then last week I talked about the, the son, that God in his generosity has given his son. And, and we looked at Hebrews chapter 1 last week, and we saw how, how um, 
Jesus is, you know, is God, and he is, he, he is equal to God, and that, that um, he made purification for sins, and that when he made purifications of sins, meaning when he died on the cross and was buried and rose on the third day, he ascended to heaven and he sat down. And the reason why he sat down was he didn't need to improve upon what he did at the, on the cross. Like he didn't add, he, we don't have to add to it. He, everything he did on the cross was complete and full. And uh, so he talked about that. And then this week, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. And man, to, to talk about the Holy Spirit... Um, in one sermon is, is difficult. Uh, I don't know, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit while being a part of the church. And so um, for some of you, they may, this might feel like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Um, I'm gonna try to not make it feel that way. <laughs> I really want this to not only be something that helps, but I want you to be encouraged when you leave here as we, as we reflect upon the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, like there are, there are, you know, the Holy Spirit's not the only, um, the only one who is like, absent from a lot of our church services, it seems like, in terms of like, he's like that awkward family member. You know, just, if he sits on the bench and does nothing, we're okay with it, but once he starts acting up, man, it gets weird. Like, we, we kind of feel like it's weird. We treat prayer the same way. Um, the prayer is just kind of this weird thing. So what I'm gonna do is, uh, I don't want that to be the case at Meadowbrook, and I want us to be a people, when we gather, that prayer is a part of our gathering every time we get together. So, because I don't want anybody getting sick, well, I'm not gonna ask you to go across the room and meet up with a stranger and pray with them within like three feet of each other, right? You can do that if you want, um, but I just want to just guide us in a time of prayer before we dive into John chapter 14, if that's okay. And, um, and what I am going to encourage you to do is that I just want you to, I'm going to encourage you to pray that, um, that you ask God to just soften your heart, that you ask God to just, through, through his Holy Spirit, just give you ears to hear whatever it is that God wants you to take away from, from today. And, that, uh, and here's, here's kind of a dangerous prayer. Um, I want you, I'm gonna encourage you to pray that God will point out whatever it is that, that you need to let go of so that he can have more of your heart. And then, then we'll dive into the scriptures. Does that sound okay? So let's just pray, and you can pray out loud, or you can pray in, the, in just the quietness of your own heart, but you can pray with the person sitting next to you, or you can just pray by yourself. But let's just pray. Let's just quiet our hearts, and let's pray, and, um, and then I'll close our time. God, when you're... Hey, when, I, when I read Acts... And I read how the Holy Spirit empowered your people and moved in the midst of your people. When I read Jesus' promise that he is not only going to send us the Holy Spirit as a helper, but when I read that it is, that he said it is to our benefit that he go so that he could send the Holy Spirit. God, I just, um, I want that. I want to experience the, the same things that your people experienced on the day of Pentecost and what followed afterwards when, when you fulfilled your promises of long ago that you would send your Holy Spirit. So God, I, I ask now that you, whatever distraction there, there's going on in, in our minds, in, in our lives, God, that you would just remove it. You quiet our minds. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts. God, that your Spirit would 
unstop our ears, give us ears to hear and remove the blinds from the blinders from our eyes that we would see. God, whatever it is that we are holding on to that keeps us from um, diving into you intimately or whatever it is that we're holding on to that, that keeps us from giving all of our heart to you, that you would point that out and that and that, that would be removed today, that, that, that you would just do a, a supernatural work in our lives, that that would be removed and that, that you would just do... Um, do your work in our lives and whatever it is that you need to do to do that, that you would do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in John 14, Jesus said something hours before he was about to be crucified. And he told his disciples the very first thing, before he talked about the Holy Spirit, or this helper that he was going to send, he made this statement. And i got to be honest with you, I had, never, I had not seen this, I had not made the connection that I'm going to share with you until f- this past Friday. And I had preached on this passage before, I must have read the Gospel of John dozens of times, but I had not seen this. And this is it's in verse 15, and Jesus said this, he said, if you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. Now, why did he say that? And then in verse 16, say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. It almost seems like, it almost seems disconnected. But what he was saying there, it was, I believe, meant to, to remind everyone within earshot of his words, the disciples, those who were with him in the upper room celebrating Passover, to remind them of Israel's history. To remind them of Deuteronomy, when God said, when he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with what? Your whole person, right? And, and he goes on in Deuteronomy to say, and, and, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's in Deuteronomy, all over Deuteronomy. And Jesus says here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and I believe what he was trying to communicate or what he was communicating to his disciples and what he's communicating to us through these words on, this, on our, the pages of our Bible is that, um, is that the one thing that Israel was known for was not being, consi- they, were, they were known for their inconsistency in loving God and keeping his commandments. You know that, right? Like he... Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. He said, circumcise your heart, you stiff-necked people, <laughs> and obey me. And, um, and they didn't do a good job of doing that. And then Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so what I want to do is I want to just unpack that, and we're going to do that and just, you know, and you know, it's kind of like my, my jam, three points. <laughs> three points, no poem. There will be no poem in this sermon. Um, three points. And the first is, this, is, is that the Holy Spirit was promised. What Jesus was promising his disciples was something that was not new. It, the Holy Spirit was promised long ago, long before Jesus took, you know, was born on that first Christmas night and, and, to, and was born in human flesh. Long before that, God had promised his people that I'm going, to, I'm going to do a work amongst, in the midst of you. I'm going to do a work with you. And, um, and, and that work is going to enable you to love me and to obey me. But before we get there, I just want to show you some, some, some verses in the Bible that kind of highlight this. And the first is Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6 where he says this, now, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's the commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That, so when God, through Moses, spoke to his people and said, if you will do these things, you will be my people, Israel's response was this. He said, all, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And literally, I mean, it's almost comical. I mean, it's sad. That was in Exodus 19, and just like a handful of chapters later, Moses was on top of uh, Mount Sinai, and he was receiving the commandments from the, from the Lord, and they had just said, we're going to obey the Lord, we're going to follow him, it's all going to be great. And why he was up there, they were down at the base of the mountain thinking, man, God, you know, what's taking Moses so long? Maybe he died, he's not... We need, we need to make a God in our image to go before us. And so they made a golden calf, and they did all kinds of crazy, ridiculous stuff to worship it. Um, and that was after they said, all that the Lord commanded, we will do. And that was their story. And why? Why was that their experience? Because it's the human experience. It's your experience. It's my experience before Christ. The problem is, is that we have a human heart problem. We have a spiritual problem. Our hearts are sick. That's what the Bible says. Our hearts are sick. And God promised. He said, look, the, the problem is, is you can't fix yourself. Um, in January, I'll be doing a sermon series. You know, Christians say the, dar, you know, the darnest things. I, I, that's kind of what I'm working with. I mean, it might sound a little corny. I might change it up a little bit. But... Um, but one of the things that you've probably heard said is that God only helps those who help themselves. Eh, <laughs> wrong answer. Um, that's not what I read in the Bible. And here, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, you can't help yourself, I'm going to do it for you. And, and we read in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the context where the that you may live part is Deuteronomy 28 through 29, where God says, if you obey, if you obey my commandments, you will live. If you disobey my commandments, if you worship other gods, you will be cursed. In Galatians, Paul said, you know, you want to know what the purpose of the law was? You want to know what purpose it served in the Old Testament and, and what it continue, the purpose it continues to serve today? It's that it serves as our tutor. It says that now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The point that Paul is making is that the law shows us just how far short we, we fall. The law shows us our hearts are sick. The law shows us that there's something that needs to happen supernaturally with us to enable us to really love God and to obey him. And God says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this work. And Isaiah 44, verse 3, God promised, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, I will give you, let's read this together, ready? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Like, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to enable you to, to love me and to obey me. And then later, um, the prophet Joel made, God spoke through the prophet Joel this promise. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. That I'm going to do this, and I'm going to remedy your heart problem, and I'm going to empower you and embolden you to, to obey me and to follow me and to live out my mission. This was a promise that dates all the way back to, to Deuteronomy. God was going to do this. But the other thing about this helper is that he's a person. He is not a force. He's not some mystical entity. He is a person. That the Bible teaches that God is a triune being. He is three persons, one God. Now, I, un I know trying to wrap our minds around that is difficult. Seth and I were having a conversation about the difficult things of God and how, how do we make sense of it. Like his question was, how, how do, like, okay, so God didn't have a beginning? How, how does that work? I thought all things have a beginning. Um, and I... I and I just use this illustration. You know, many of you know that I'm not a big fan of rabbits, right? So, but I, I'm, I, I, the, 
because of my love for my son, the rabbit lives, right? Our pet rabbit, that is, that's why he lives. I've discovered, I discovered um, why when we purchased the, we had originally two rabbits, I didn't kill the other one, he froze. Um, but <laughs> you're like, okay, what kind of church do the, am, I, am I visiting today? So that you could purchase the rabbit and, and it was clear that, that this person who bred these rabbits bred them for, to be either a pet or to be food. I'm like, I understand. I understand why that is true. Most people probably purchase the rabbits for food, not pets. Um, and you're like, did he just say that? Yes, I did. That's how I feel. I'm sorry. I'm being honest. Well, anyway, so that's off topic. All right, so, so, we, so I, I said that, I asked Seth, I asked him, Seth, so when, um, let me ask you this question. When, when, when you, every morning, you, your chore, your duty is to make sure you feed your rabbit before you go to school. When you bring food to the rabbit, do you think your, your rabbit is able to comprehend all that went into the food being, making the food available to the rabbit? Like, does, does, your food, does your rabbit comprehend that we had to go to Walmart, dad had to drive out of his way, find the rabbit food to get it and bring it home so this critter could eat food and poop? Like, that's what they do? And he said, well, no. I said, well, when it comes to us wrapping our mind around who God is, you know, there's a ceiling to our, to our ability to comprehend and understand. And so in light of God, like who God is, there are a lot of things that we can know about God and even understand about God, but there are some things that that ceiling, like we hit the ceiling. And God being a triune being, I, I think that's the ceiling. Like how does that work? How, how is God one God and three persons at the same time? He's not three phases. It's not like God the Father and then God, phase one and then phase two, God the Son, and then phase three, New Testament, God the Holy Spirit. Like, that's not it. It's not water, ice, and steam. That doesn't work either. It's not like an egg. You have a shell, the, yolk, the egg white, and the yolk. That's bogus. That doesn't, that doesn't hammer, the, you know, uh, help us understand this trinity. He is three persons, three separate persons, one God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is, is, um, is referred to as a he. You know, he's three persons, one, one God. And we are introduced to the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, St. Augustine, who lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he, he said this in his commentary on Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis. He said, when God created, God planned creation, God the Son did creation, like he's the Word made flesh, and God the Holy Spirit sustains creation. There's another guy by the name of Wayne Grudem who's, a, who's alive, <laughs> Uh, theologian who wrote a, uh, it's called Systematic Theology, a big giant book. But he said something that was helpful. He said, from the very beginning of creation, we have an in indication that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what the Son has begun. Now let me put that in, in just kind of a picture for you. Let me help you paint a, a clearer picture of this. When we read like Ephesians chapter 1, we read verses that say, like, that start off with this, like, that before the foundation of the world, God chose you, okay? That's Ephesians 1. That's not Keith Miller. That's Ephesians. And then, I believe it's in verse 5, he talks about the Son, that through the Son, through Jesus Christ, we have redemption for our sins. Jesus, Jesus made possible the work of redemption that God the Father planned, Jesus made possible by taken on flesh, living the life we could never live, dying a death that we deserved under the wrath of God. Every one of us deserved that death. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Jesus began that work. And then he, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to sustain the work that he started. And so last week, we looked at like the Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus made purification of sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. When he made purification of sins, what did he do? He died. And, how did, and, and when did he die? He died on Passover. 
you know, Passover week. And he died on what day? On Friday. Which day is Friday? Friday is the last day of the work week in the Jewish calendar. Then he was buried. And what day was he in the tomb for? What full day was he in the tomb for? Saturday. What day is Saturday in the Jewish calendar? Come on, Sabbath. It's the Sabbath, the day of rest. And then what is the first day of the work week in the Jewish calendar? Not Monday. <laughs> it's Sunday. It's Sunday. So Jesus died on, on the last day of the work week, was in the tomb on Sabbath, and on the third day, which would have been Sunday, the first day of the work week, he rose. Why did he rise? To mark, to, 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 to begin a new work in you and in me, in the life of God's people. That's what he did. That's what he did. And so that's why, like, when you read John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the word, word was what's God, and the Word was God, and it goes on to, you know, talk about that. It's, you know, draw images of, of Genesis chapter 1 to our minds when we read the Gospel of John chapter 1. And it is this Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is in the, who's involved with the people of God, who indwells the people of God, who is working in the midst of the people of God. Listen, Christmas is not only, is not only the good news that Jesus Christ took, that God became flesh, took on flesh, was born of a virgin, um, and Mary and Joseph gave the name, or they basically just you know, named him Jesus because the angel Gabriel said, this is who you're going to call him. And that, um, and that he was born to die for sinners like you and me. That, that is the message of Christmas, but that's not all. That's not all that there is to Christmas. Part of the Christmas message includes that God is going to send his spirit to sustain and mold and shape the people of God so that they can love him and obey him and enjoy him. Right? And so that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this series. But he is a person. He has characteristics that are true of God. He can be everywhere at the same time. That's Psalm 139. He is all-knowing. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My manuscript will be on the webpage if you're looking to write down notes. Um, he, he creates. And we see that in Job 33 and Psalm 104. In Matthew 12, Jesus warned people to not blaspheme, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, there's only one being you can blaspheme, and that is God. And so Jesus included the Holy Spirit in that. Do not in fact, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that that is an unforgivable sin. That's a whole other sermon, but I just want you to see. And then Jesus commanded his disciples, and he commands us that when you baptize and make this, when you make disciples of people from all nations and you baptize them, you baptize them in the name of the what? Name of the Father, name of the Son, and name of the Holy Spirit, right? God is a triune God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not some weird mystical thing. He is a person. And he is working in the midst of the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John chapter 16, just a few chapters later, he said, I am going to him who sent me because I've said these things uh, to you. Sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He said, it is to your advantage. Listen, I want you to just think about this. Jesus said to his disciples that I am going away. My, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to be buried, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the grave, I will send to heaven, I'm, I'm going to go away, and this, my, my disciples, is to your advantage that I do this. Because in me going away, not having the physical presence of me right in front of your face, you will get the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you, and he said, forever. Yet we in the church treat the Holy Spirit as this weird family member in the Trinity. But Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go and send you the Holy Spirit. Like the same Holy Spirit that filled the disciples on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit who indwells you and indwells me today. Did you know that? Like he does. Um, and he works through God's people and he empowers them to do what God you know, has commanded his people to do. 
God in his generosity sent his son to redeem and pardon sinners. Jesus in his generosity laid down his life for you and for me and for our sins to bring us to God. And, um, and then he sent us the Holy Spirit who in his generosity empowers us and gifts the people of God to do the work of, of his ministry. Every single one of you in this room has been gifted to carry out the mission that God has given his church to carry out. Look, listen, you, some of you already know this. I hope most of you know this. But the mission of the church is not to get up on Sunday morning and show up, sing some songs, and listen to some guy talk for about 40 to 50 minutes. Like, that's not the mission. Of the, the mission of the church is that we, we are equipped and that we are sent into a world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel. And Jesus has given us the helper who gives us all the resources and the ability to do that. Do you know that? Like, you don't need me to do the mission of the church that God has given you to do. We gather together to encourage each other. We gather together to submit ourselves under the word of God and to sing songs to one another. Like, like, and, that, and we're called and commanded to do that. That's an important part. But that's not the mission of the church. That's part of the equipping of the church. Um, when I became a, a follower of Jesus, when I became a Christian, I mean, I went to public school. <laughs> so some of you might have some high, maybe some of your teachers don't, don't, Maybe you're thinking, don't, don't say bad things about public school. Well, my public school wasn't so great. And so I, I was considered learning disabled. I had maybe like a, I think it was a sixth grade reading level when I graduated. I, I could barely do division, you know, when I graduated high school. Didn't learn a second language. None of that. I, in my, after my 10th grade year in that summer, that's when I became a Christian. God just met me in the middle of a road after I was hit by a car and just did some crazy, ridiculous things in my life and, and wooed me to himself, and I became a Christian. And um, about halfway through my 11th grade year, I was just, I, I mean, I just, God had just given me this fire to just want to tell people about him. And uh, so I, uh, myself and this guy, Anthony Martini, who prayed for me, we are in the same grade, prayed for me since junior high. Um, we led a Bible study after school, I forget, I think it was after, I think it was on Mondays after school. We had like 10 to 20 ki kids, 10 to 20 peers in that, in that Bible study. And uh, I didn't know anything about this book. I was just reading it. And, and so I would just share with them what I read. I would open up to a verse and just say, hey, let's talk about this verse. Um, I didn't go to Bible college. I, I, I didn't learn any of that. But God had equipped, it, he had equipped me to be able to open the scriptures and to, and to have a Bible study with these guys as I was learning the Bible myself. And he's doing the same in you. Like, he has called you to your workplace, he has called you to your family, he has called you to your community where you find yourself in to, be, to participate in the mission of God. Jesus said it is to our benefit that he go away so that we can have the Holy Spirit to, do, to be empowered to do the work that he has called his church to do. And the third thing is this, is that, is that the Holy Spirit's not just a person, but he is our saving power. You want to know who sustains you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, if that's, who, if that's what you are right now? Um, what sustains you is the Holy Spirit. He is sustaining and he is keeping you, just like he is sustaining all of creation. And when Jesus was crucified for sinners, he, he was crucified on Passover. And you know, you know what comes after? What came after Passover? Pentecost. Came 50 days after Passover. And Jesus told his disciples, "Look, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And when the Holy Spirit comes, when you receive that promise, he said this, and and um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will, here, let's read this together, ready? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That the helper is coming to empower you to do, to do this, to do my, to do my mission, to uh, participate in the mission that I've called you to. And so 50 days after Passover, um, 
Pentecost happened. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, uh, which is uh, a time of giving thanks and presenting offerings for the summer wheat harvest in Israel. The first fruits, like it just, it's just like, okay, God's going to do this work, and we're just, we're just honoring him and how he's you know, going to bless us. And Pentecost, what happened on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was um, with God gave his, his, his Holy Spirit upon his followers, upon believers, upon Christ followers, just as he promised. The helper came. And the helper uh, sustains us to do what Christ has sent us in the world to do. And so we read these words, like Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, uh, as of fire appeared on them, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, what, what, language, what, tongue, what are the tongues thing? What is, what's that all about? It wasn't an, an angelic language. There are people groups that were gathered on that day. There were people who spoke different languages that were gathered on that day. And when the disciples and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in, in, in this way, they began to speak languages they had never learned. And uh, the people who heard them heard the apostles speaking their own you know, mother tongue, even though the disciples and the apostles didn't learn those languages. And what God was demonstrating that day is, I'm sealing my people with the Holy Spirit, just as I promised. Like now, my people will be able to obey me and love me and, and, um, and be the priesthood that they've been called to be. And so the, the God who led the Hebrew people by a, a cloud by day and a, uh, by a, fire at, a pillar of fire at night will now lead his people through his Holy Spirit. Um, St. Augustine once said this. He said, the heart of the believer is not too small for God, not too small for God's spirit, though the temple of Solomon was. You know, so listen, like, if you're, how, how many of you are a Christian? How many of you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Right? Now, now look around, okay? You see, the Holy Spirit is indwelling every person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. The Spirit who sustains all of creation is living and dwelling inside of you, sustaining you and empowering you. And, and what God instructed Israel to do from Mount Sinai, he empowers his people to do since the day of Pentecost. We are the kingdom of priests that are sent into the nations. And, um, and each of you has a spiritual gift that God has given. You might not know what it is. Maybe you do. But he's uniquely gifted you for the mission that he's called you to. And that we are better together as followers of Jesus. That's, you know, that's why one of the reasons why we gather together, to encourage each other and, and to equip one another. But we're, we're called to Cheyenne because we're better together as a body of believers. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, that, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does, what does this mean? But others mockingly said they are filled with new wine, meaning like there's something crazy happening here. I think sometimes we behave like the unbelievers in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, when it, when it comes to the way the Holy Spirit works and moves within his people in the church. Like any time a, a movement of God happened, as we, you know, when, when God's people were praying, usually it involves God's people praying, um, devoting themselves to the word of God, and the power and then the Holy Spirit filling them and moving them. Like when, when like the Welsh revival happened or just a, a, other different, uh, like the Great Awakening and the New England states happened, like some people were wigged out by what was happening, how the Holy Spirit was moving in people. And, um, and so we tend to treat the Holy Spirit that way, like this weird, this weird force that we're afraid of. And, and what does the Holy Spirit do? Like what, what, what does he do? What, what has he done in your life? What is he doing now? Well, there are a number of things that we learn about the Holy Spirit, and that is once you place your faith and trust in Jesus, when you became a Christian, several things, there were three things that happened. 
One is that you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't, you, you may not have had some mystical, crazy encounter with, with God when that happened. Maybe you did. Maybe you did have that encounter. For me, it was in the quietness of my living room, uh, just after I came out, I was released from the hospital from being hit by a car, and it was, nobody else was around me, and, and the gospel just made sense to me for the first time. I gave my life to Jesus, but I didn't like, nothing crazy happened in the middle of my living room. Like, tongues of fire didn't come down in my living room, and I start speaking in tongues. Like, that didn't happen. Um, but I was baptized and indwelt by the Holy Spirit on the day I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. The other thing that happened when you place your faith and trust in Jesus is that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? Is that you're, that you're secure. <laughs> yeah, like God has sealed you, meaning that you can't, I, like I said this last week, I, you can't lose your salvation. He sealed you. If you play, truly place your faith and trust in Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit is doing his thing in your life He's sealed you, and he's molding and shaping you as a result. And I said last week, like, if nothing's changed in your life since you prayed whatever prayer you prayed, then you're probably not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you should be able to look back in your life and see that God has definitely has done some things in my life. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I said a while back, I said this, I said, you know, maybe you're wondering, you know, maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life, because like, I just can't, I just can't get my life together, I just need more of the Holy Spirit, and I said to you, I said, the, the question you should be asking is not whether or not you need more of the Holy Spirit, because you have all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever have. The real question is, how much of the Holy Spirit has your heart, like has a hold of your heart. That's when change happens. Like you read Acts and you see like this crazy thing that the Holy Spirit was doing in the life of his, his church. Um, the, reason, the reason why they experience what they experience is because of, I think, Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to just read it for you. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says... And I think this is the secret. It's not really a secret, but he, he said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, like we need each other, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Four things were present in their life. They were devoted to the word of God, not just on Sunday morning or whenever they gathered. They, were, they had their noses in the book. I said last week, you will not grow in your faith if you're not reading the Bible. Um, they devoted themselves to meeting together. Like the Holy Spirit also, not only does the Spirit of God speak through his word, but he also speaks through his people. We need each other. They broke bread together. And then, then the, fir- the fourth thing is that they prayed. They prayed. You will not grow if you don't pray in your faith. They prayed. And it says, later on, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That was the secret. Um, You know, in a moment we're going to celebrate communion. We can actually distribute the cup, uh, the communion cup and and bread. But um, they did this. When they got together, they they constantly reminded themselves of the gospel, like the, the change that had happened in their lives and what God was doing in their lives. I'll grab one of those. Thank you. Um, so they're breaking bread together. And uh, as, you know, as they did that, the Spirit of God was changing them and molding them and shaping them. And the, and the world was taking notice. Like things were happening in their community. Lives were being transformed. There are several accounts where some Christians were locked up in prison, and Paul and Silas, and you know uh, Peter, and uh, you know was 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 taken hold of too. And God miraculously delivered them. Like I believe it was Paul and Silas when they were in prison, and God opened up the gates. And the prison guard, he wanted to kill himself because, like, I know what this means. And God is just doing some crazy, crazy things. And, um, 
And, and what we learn is that the, the, the reason, like, so these believers, these Christians, they, you know, when they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, they had all of the Holy Spirit that they could possibly ever need. But as they devoted themselves to the Word of God, as they committed themselves to fellowshipping with one another, as they broke bread together, and as they prayed, I believe that's why they were filled by the Holy Spirit. That's where the power was demonstrated. Why? Because, because when you do those things, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit grabs more a hold of your heart. And like the question I think is a good question that we, need, we should ask ourselves is that, is that what is it that's keeping me from giving God all of my heart? And could that be the reason why my life is so jacked up right now? Could that be the reason why I don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Could that be the reason why I, I, I'm not getting anything out of, you know, when we gather on Sunday or, or when I open up my Bible in the middle of the week? I mean, like, could, could those be the reasons why? And, then, you know, when I read Acts, man, I read all these, these things that happened as a result. Like, Demons were cast out of people who were possessed. Lives were transformed. Prison doors were opened. Chains were broken and, and, and prisoners were set free. The, uh, the, the world that they understood was, I think, probably even more jacked up than America, Rome, like the Roman Empire. Like That world was turned upside down, not because Christians had the latest technology or the best you know, laptop or the, the coolest worship band or, 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 or a convenient building. It was because they were, they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped with one another. They broke bread together and they prayed. I mean, missionaries were sent out into the world. And you know who the first missionaries were? The cream of the crop. Like here's you have, you have this, this, this new church that was young in, in, in their development and you would think, man, they were so fragile and, and you don't want to take away the strongest leaders during this time. But what did the church do? They sent their strongest leaders. Like you don't get stronger than like Paul and Barnabas, right? They sent Paul and Barnabas. So you got to go carry the gospel to the unreached people groups out there. We'll be okay. You know why we'll be okay? Not because we have the best preachers or the best musicians or, you know, the most readable translation of the Old Testament. And we have the Holy Spirit who's empowered us to do this work. And I ask, before we open the wafer and the, and the juice, I ask, why why can we not experience the same thing today? Why is the Holy Spirit missing? Or seem like he's missing in our churches today? Like if God could turn the Roman Empire upside down to a group of, what, how many were in the upper room? It's like a hundred and some people. 120, I forget the exact number. That's how he started things. And then after that, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ, and after that, more. Why couldn't he do that in Cheyenne today? I, and I'm pointing up, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pointing up myself here. I, I wonder if it has more to do with whether or not the Holy Spirit has all of my heart than anything else. What are you holding on to? that you just don't want to give to God? What is keeping God from having all of your heart? Jesus in the upper room said, you know, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be pierced for your transgressions. By my stripes, you're going to be healed. That's Isaiah 53. I'm going to die for you. I am purchasing for myself a bride, a church. And uh, everything I'm going to do on that cross will be sufficient and it will be complete and you will not have to do one thing to add to it. And every time you gather together, I want you to remember that, that even though you were faithless, God was faithful. Even when you were running from him, he pursued you. 
And he knows more of your heart than even you know of your own heart. And he was not disgusted by you. He came running after you anyway. And every time you gather together, I want you to remember that. So let's take the bread and eat together. The promise in the Old Testament of this helper, of this Holy Spirit coming, this promise of a circumcision of the heart, this promise is called the new covenant. It's called the new covenant promise. And Jesus in the upper room, he held up the cup, one of the cups, there are several cups that he held up, but this cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. I'm not going to drink this cup until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom, but but every time you gather together, I want you to be reminded that you are a new covenant people, that through my death and my resurrection, I have started a new work in you, and that the helper is the one who will sustain you and empower you. So every time you gather together, I want you to remember that. Let's drink together. Like, I, like Jesus said to these disciples, and I'm ending with this, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. And that is to your advantage. That's to your advantage. I am, um, I've got nursery workers in there, my wife included, um, so I'll be in trouble. But uh, I, I, there's a couple that came to the first service, and um, they're not there, I'm just, they were sitting over there, so I'm like, and, um, they had just moved here about a month ago. And, and there were some crazy things that were going on in their life. A young couple. I, I could say young. Younger than me. Probably in their 20s. And um, he worked for a company, had a bunch of stuff stolen from, stolen from him, and he, wanted to, he literally wanted to murder the people. He wanted to kill them. At the same time, his wife was suffering from a debilitating disease and she was in constant pain to the point where she could barely function at, at certain points. And um, they moved to this new neighborhood. This is East Coast, I believe. And, um, and they were invited to a friend's house, uh, this couple's house who happened to be Christian and when they came over for, for dinner, and they came over for dinner, and this person said to this couple that was visiting, they said, he said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but um, we pray before we eat. And then, so then this couple that visited, they, they said, yeah, we're Christian. We grew up kind of in the church and been a Christian for a long time. We're totally cool with that. They prayed. And then this, this family invited them for dinner and said, hey, you want to go to a Bible study with us, you know, next week? And so they started going to this Bible study. And... Uh, one, um, one of those days, uh, his wife was just in such pain, she could barely function, so she, she didn't come, and uh, they, they asked about it, and, and then this family with their Bible study asked, well, can we pray for her? Can we lay hands on her and pray for her? And they did. And the husband, I'm just gonna leave them unnamed, but the husband said, um, I didn't pray this out loud, but I prayed, God, and this was, I just heard this story leading up to the second service. I said, God, if you, uh, if you heal my wife, I won't kill those people. And he was serious about it. I will not retaliate. Next morning, they get up, and his wife, no pain. The day after that, no pain. It's been five months, no pain. It's gone. Now, does God heal everybody? No, because you know, as you know my family, God, he, I told them, I said, God physically healed me, but there are members of my family he hasn't healed. But why would we not expect God to heal? Why would we not expect the Holy Spirit to show up in some crazy, ridiculous ways to just transform a community through people like you and people like me? I think God is... I've been praying for this, that God is going to do a work in Cheyenne. He's going to do it not just through Meadowbrook, but through churches, 
throughout this city, but he will do it when his people get serious about giving all of their hearts to who he is. Right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. I ask that you would do a work in our lives. Transform us and mold us. Shape us. Do a work for your people. Whatever it is in this room that's being held onto that you want your people to give up so that you can have all of their heart, that before they leave this room, they will do that. That before they leave this room, they will say, Lord, it's yours. Take it. Just take it from me. I want you to have all of my heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.